Psalm 96 says, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Well, good morning and welcome to Real Truth for Today. I'm your host, Pastor Jeff Shreve, the pastor of First Baptist Church in Texarkana, Texas. And today it's a great treat for me to have uh, across the table from me one of my uh, wonderful friends in the music uh, business, Denver Bierman. He is the uh, founder of Denver and the Mile High Orchestra. And Denver and the Mile High Orchestra, known as DMHO, is a horn driven band based out of Nashville, Tennessee. And Denver formed this uh, group with some friends at Belmont University in 1999. And they have traveled across the world playing at churches, conferences, and festivals. They've performed at, the, at two Olympic Games, 2002 in Salt Lake City and 2004 in Athens. And were the house band at the 2005 Gospel Music Association Music Awards. And DMHO finished third on the show The Next Great American Band, a Battle of Bands reality show that aired on Fox in late 2007. So, Denver, yeah, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. Great to be here with you today. Well, uh, you have done a lot since 1999 when you were a student at Belmont. And so when did, uh, when did the Lord kind of drop into your heart that, hey, I want to start a band and I want to travel around and and share the gospel in, in a different way, in a, in a horn band way. I uh, came to know Christ when I was 17 years old in high school. I grew up in northern Indiana in a little farm town called Plymouth, Indiana up there and uh, went down to Belmont University in Nashville, Tennessee. And while I was there, um, had felt a calling to ministry and thought that in some way, shape or form, I was going to be involved, you know, spreading the gospel of Jesus. And, uh, you know, I played trumpet uh in a couple of different bands i was in a band uh when i was 19 years old that was on goatee records uh it's owned by toby mckeon um and so that was pretty surreal you know beginning to, to travel and we played for the one of the inauguration balls for the president of the united states i wow. had secret service people taking my trumpet apart you know it was just a really <laughs> very surreal experience for a 19 year old you know, that grew up, uh, grew up in a very rural area and, uh, just felt like, uh, somehow, some way I would wanted to be used by the Lord. And so when I was a senior in college, um, I was learning how to write orchestrations for symphony orchestra and for big band and being a, a lover of the trumpet and lover of big band music for a long time. Um, I was asked to do an outreach for the church that I attended at the time during college, which was called two rivers Baptist church. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, they were wanting me to do this outreach to college students every other week. Uh, and they were going to bring in uh, younger Christian artists, artists that might have been on labels, but that were what we called their rookie records coming out with their very first mm -hmm. projects. And I would interview them and really feature their albums. And it was just to get you know kids more involved there in the ministry at Two Rivers. But they wanted me to be like a host, which meant they wanted me to do like one or two songs every single episode which was every other week so i had to keep writing all this music mm -hmm. but at the same time i'm in this class that's that's requiring me to write all of these big band charts and i thought what if i was to take some of the songs christian songs i'm writing and then write these orchestrations and make them sound like big band 
That way I can turn them in for assignments for my class, but I can also Kill use them for birds. the church. Right. I can use them for the church. And um, and so I was inviting all my buddies that were believers, uh, that were really, really talented musicians to come out and play with me. And we started doing that for six or eight months. One thing led to another, and we were uh, asked by the university to represent them at a showcase at the Ryman Auditorium. Um, and uh, we didn't have a name for the band yet. So uh, they said, we need a, a name to put in the program, you know, for, we need a name by tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. And it was like two in the afternoon. We had classes, we had rehearsals. And so around eight or nine o'clock, as any classic college kid would, who's procrastinated, we sat down, the, you know, a bunch of us and said, we got to come up with a name. And we, we tried real hard until one or two in the morning, but Josh Harner, one of my best friends in the world, who's a charter member of the band and uh, also grew up in the same church with me growing up in Indiana, uh, said, Denver, you're writing all the music, you know, and your name's kind of different. So what mm-hmm. if we called it something like Denver and the, like, like Denver and the Mile High Orchestra? And I said, Josh, that is the dumbest name I've ever heard of in my entire <laughs> life. But it was the best we could come up with overnight. So we put it in the program. We got a standing ovation. Um, I had three record labels call my college dorm room answering machine the next day yeah. while I was at class. And uh, oh, that, wow. that was the beginning of the journey. Yeah. I think it's a pretty cool name. It's different. It's definitely confused people because well, we you don't think live of, in Colorado. <laughs> right. You think of John Denver. You think of Denver, yeah. Colorado, obviously. And um, so those things. Even the put. Denver, one of the editors of the Denver newspaper actually wrote an article when we were on the television show on Fox saying, wouldn't it be really great if the Mile High Orchestra was actually from the Mile High City? <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember the, the, the first time, one of the first times you came to First Baptist Texarkana, because I think you came in, came in 2004, maybe, I think was the first time. But um, you, t- you told me, you said, now, we're real loud. Mm-hmm. And yes. in your recording label, Real Loud Records? It was when we, uh, we weren't on a record label. So long story short is I, I walked through a 53-page record contract and, you know, hired a very, very renowned, you know, lawyer. Uh, Christian uh, a lawyer that represents a lot of Christian artists um, and I think it was a five album deal it was going to take seven and a half or ten years whatever it was at the time but uh, like many of those kinds of things the label folded after we had negotiated uh, for three and a half months and so um, they had been around for for a good long time had some really good artists some artists that have gone on to do really great stuff but we stayed independent after that like that really was a real, I mean, kind of a jolt. Because <laughs> like we were just the band had just started, and then it looked like, gosh, we're getting ready to sign a huge deal, and all your dreams coming true. But life has a way of kind of rearranging things, <laughs> yeah. and so we stayed independent, and we just kept practicing, we kept writing, we kept working really hard. Our first album we released independently. Uh-huh. Um, most, no, all of it was recorded in the studios at Belmont. We were just getting studio oh. time at the university while we were still work. You know going going to college there um and so eventually our drummer jared ribble and reed ribble reed and dina ribble his parents uh they had a vision to be able to start a label to bring unique christian music that may not be being represented you know in the landscape of what christian music was uh in a really unique way and so they signed myself and a gentleman named Keith Cooper, phenomenal mm-hmm. guitar player. Yes. Um, and uh, I got the name of the label. Uh, so I called it Real Loud because we are real loud. And yeah. we made eight projects with them. 
yeah. uh, over the years and uh until until reed got into congress he eventually was in washington for about six or eight years oh, wow. as a congressman from wisconsin so we we closed the label at that point well let's uh let's give our listeners a taste of what uh, denver and the mile high orchestra sound like <laughs> That was, if in case you didn't know, on Christ the Solid Rock, and uh, performed a little differently, Denver, than the uh, the hymn with the organ and piano. I would say. Oh yeah, I, I grew up in a very traditional church, and I love hymns. I absolutely love them. And I thought, man, we're a big band, so is there a way that we could uh, take some of these songs that I love so much, and uh, you know, and do them with a big band, and and that. Uh, you know, from the creative standpoint, as an arranger and as a writer, uh, boy, that is super fun to be able to take songs and maybe do them in a really kind of a different way. Um, and a lot of people really enjoy them. Some people maybe not as much, but uh, but uh, overall, it has probably become the most uh, iconic thing that the band does is, yeah. is, is Christmas music and, and hymns. And uh, people are always, you know, interested to see how we're going to how we're going to present them. Yeah, no, it, they're fun. They're fun for sure. Okay, let me ask you this. I was curious because you're very, very good up front. You do a lot of things because you you sing, you're the front man for the band, you play the trumpet, and then you write the music. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when you put all those together, uh, is one of those things more your sweet spot than the other? Mm, that's a great, great, great question. You know, if I had a sweet spot, I think it's all of them together. You know, uh, in ministry, I've often, uh, you know, I've always, because when we first started, it was such an entertaining thing. And I really had a kind of a problem with that because I grew up thinking that I'm not going to just entertain people. I want I want what I do to have some purpose, to have some meaning. I really want it to be about the gospel of Jesus. And I really struggled with the fact that the band was actually really fun to watch and that it was really fun to listen to because I don't. I, I thought entertainment could be, could feel very empty and mm-hmm. be more empty. Um, and when I was talking to some of my friends that were pastors and in ministry, they said, you know, we need Christian entertainers just like we need Christian plumbers and we need Christian mm-hmm. electricians and 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 uh, Christian you know computer programmers. And so once I was able to wrap my mind around the fact that okay, part of what I do is worshiping and helping lead worship in a church on Sunday morning. Part of what I do is singing at at a state fair, mm-hmm. you know, uh, in the middle of a rodeo rink. You know, mm-hmm. part of what I do is going to be on television and on on network TV. Like we wear many many different hats, and I think one of the things for me 
was uh, learning that God will take what is unique about you mm-hmm. and he will use it in a very unique way. And I think one of the unique things about me is probably that I'm not the greatest trumpet player in the world. I'm not the greatest frontman in the world. I'm not the greatest singer in the world. And I'm not the greatest writer and arranger in the world. But I can do all those things decently well. And I think that's what works is when it's the whole kind of package. The whole package. I, I tell you what, Denver, it is amazing how, because you played for us last night, but you're by yourself. You, you know, you're playing with tracks and playing the trumpet and singing mm-hmm. and did a great job. Your ability to go from singing to playing the trumpet back to singing uh, is amazing because you don't have to take a breath. You're just and you just pick it back up. Boom! Uh, how do you do that? You tr- number one, you do it a lot. Like I mean, it's a lot of is about practice and training. For me, having done this now twenty four years, uh, you know, I went and got some breathing testing during uh, the pandemic because you know I'd had some issues with with COVID and everything, and my my breathing did not come back the way it like like many people experienced our my breathing did not come back and bounce back the way i had hoped uh about three or four months after i i had gotten sick and so i went to the doctor and they said well we're going to give you this breathing test and so they did and they said your breathing's off the charts and i said well it's not what it used to be it's not what it should be uh-huh. but i think all that uh there's been a lot of science where they they uh they actually you know, like opera singers that have passed away, they'll, they'll study their lungs uh-huh. and it's, it's, they're not naturally that way, but because we train for so long, when you're a wind instrument player, when you're a singer, uh, your lungs are huge and, mm-hmm. and they grow to be that way because mm-hmm. of all the practice, because of all the, the heavy, deep breathing and the controlled breathing. Yeah. Well, it is amazing how you can do that. You know, as you were talking, I was thinking about the racehorse secretariat because they I think they did an autopsy on secretariat when he when that horse died and said that horse had a bigger heart than other Mm -hmm. horses. And uh, no wonder that it was such an iconic horse um, because it just had it had different uh, plumbing and different. Exactly. Different physiology. Well, you're listening to Real Truth for today, and I'm your host, Pastor Jeff Shreve. We're talking about talking to my uh, dear friend Denver Beerman. I've known him for almost 20 years. I've fallen in love with his music from the first day I heard it, and I just love his heart for the Lord. I love the way he leads uh, the the audience in uh, in worship and in fun, and those things aren't mutually exclusive. We can have fun as we worship the Lord. And uh, as we sing to him a new song, so uh, you're listening to Real Truth for today. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Oops, there's a piece I missed a little bit. Grandpa, why do we always pick up litter when we go hiking? Well, we're just making it nicer for people who come after us a little bit. It's called stewardship. My grandfather taught me that you should always leave a place better than you found it. That it's important to invest in the lives of your children and grandchildren, leaving them with a godly legacy they can build on. That's why I decided to set up a charitable gift annuity with the AFA Foundation. It's called stewardship. I know that my gift will support a ministry that honors the biblical principles I hold dear. And it's a way to invest in the future of our country. The AFA Foundation also arranged for me to have a steady fixed income, so I don't have to worry in the midst of changing times. Call the AFA Foundation today to find out how you can set up a charitable gift annuity. Just call 800-326-4543, extension 345.
Dr. James Dobson's Family Talk. Christian parents are on the hook today because they have to identify the threats to the value system uh, that's being taught to their children in public schools. And their job is to protect their kids from these influences. Tune in for Family Talk with Dr. James Dobson. Weekdays at 6.30 a.m. and 9.30 p.m. on American Family Radio. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to our program. God's blessings to you all. This is a unique moment in the history of our country where we have an opportunity to restore the foundations of this nation. Tony Perkins of Washington Watch. To a nation that once again honors God. It will not happen unless God's people are informed and engaged. Join Tony Perkins for Washington Watch. Weekday afternoons at 4 Central and Saturday evening at 6 Central on American Family Radio. Let's see, if something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into, and that's MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for healthcare can save the typical family 500 bucks a month, and that's huge, but it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The customer satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan, double MediShare works. It's been around for more than a quarter century, and members have shared more than $3 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want to plan you're happy with, you can call right now and get a price within two minutes. A very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. Welcome back to Real Truth for Today. Pastor Jeff Shreve here talking to my good friend Denver Bierman. Uh, Denver Bierman is the uh, founder of Denver and the Mile High Orchestra, a horn band that travels the nation and has gone around the world uh, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, music that is uplifting, that a lot of hymns that are rearranged in such a way that uh, really draws people in. If you love big band music, it's uh, almost impossible not to love Denver and the Mile High Orchestra. Let me play you another little clip. go so it, it is fun and denver you have a lot of fun when you lead and as we were talking uh, at the break uh lots of people that sing and can sing really well in the shower or really well when they're by themselves in their car they can play an instrument really well when they're all by themselves because they're relaxed uh they get up in front of a crowd they're on the platform and they freeze 
Um, what would you say to that person? How, how can people overcome that? You know, we were talking about uh, friends on, that you, you've had on American Idol, mm-hmm. and some of them can't get past the nerves. Yeah, I think really, truly, I hate to simplify things, but I need things simple in my life to be able to really understand them well. And I think so much, we don't only see this with musicians, we see this with athletes, we see this in lots of different, even in corporate work, we see this in lots of different roles in life. And mostly, mostly nerves come down to places where we have not had a lot of experience or the places where we're very fearful about ourselves. And so the biggest thing I would really encourage folks, and I know this is gonna sound, I'm not trying to over-spiritualize things, but when we take the word sin and really break it down to its you know kind of core meaning, it means missing the mark. Mm-hmm. It's almost like looking at a target, taking, taking an arrow and trying to hit the bullseye. And when we don't, it's missing the mark. And I think often in life, if we have tried to you know sing or play uh in fr- at church or in front of a youth group or in, in, out in a restaurant in public or whatever and we feel like it didn't go well or we haven't done that a whole lot so we're kind of intimidated and we've got nerves about it we have uh, in life i always felt like i only had one or two arrows to really hit the bullseye and if i didn't hit it then i was so nervous so scared i didn't want to try anymore mm-hmm. And I think if we can get to this place in life where we realize then in most things, maybe not all things in life, but in most things, just like how God has given us uh, so many opportunities day after day to, to seek him, to connect with him, to learn more about him, we have unlimited opportunities to try to get it right. Mm-hmm. And so if, you're, if you are nervous trying those first two, five, 10, 50 times that you've done something, mm-hmm. uh, you just need to keep doing it because the more experience you get, the more mm-hmm. foundation you get, the less nervous you will be. Mm-hmm. I've been doing this now professionally for 24 years, and I still get nervous on occasion, but it is only on occasion. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I'm able to approach a microphone or <laughs> even if the mic falls out of the microphone <laughs> stand like it did last night in the middle of the concert, yeah. I can I can, I can can approach this no that number one god's on my side that he's with me that he has equipped me with what i need to be able to do the job that he's given me to do that things don't always uh the uh interaction or like how people react to something may not always be what i hope it is Mm -hmm. but knowing that i'm doing what i'm supposed to do uh whether i'm nervous or not and god's going to give me the strength to continue to grow and get better Mm -hmm. and that we have unlimited opportunities we limit ourselves in the opportunities we have based on how scared or, or, or fear and, and intimidation. And a lot of times, if we can get over some of those humps, mm-hmm. there's some incredible things in store for us on the other side. Amen. Well, uh, there's a book title. I never read the book, and uh, I've had people say that's not a very good book, but I like the title of the book. It's, it's titled, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. Hmm. And so I think that all of us, when you get up there to preach, to teach, to play, to sing, whatever it might be, uh, there are going to be some nerves. Just talk about witnessing to somebody on the airplane or something like that. Absolutely, You're going to feel the nervousness, feel the fear and do it anyway. Uh, I heard uh, Dale Thompson, who's a pastor, he's retired now, but he was in uh, Fort Smith, Arkansas. And he said, uh, he said this statement, he said, fear's okay as long as your faith is greater than your fear. Mm-hmm. Because everybody has a little bit of fear. He said, Absolutely. hey, when, when David went out there against Goliath, <laughs> do you think he might have had a little fear? Yeah. But his faith was greater than his Absolutely. fear. Absolutely. 
So, you know, in the Christian life, if you wait till all the fear goes, you'll never, never do anything. You never do anything. I mean, God asked Moses to go lead his people out, and he, <laughs> he said, a little afraid. <laughs> I can't do that. I yeah. mean, you know, and uh, th- that is, I mean, we are asked in God's word all the time to do things that seem hard, difficult, scary all the time. Right. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Right. But he said, but take heart, for I've overcome it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we can overcome these things that are so, so fearful for us. We can always overcome them with the Lord. Um, and so, yeah, those nerves, you'll have them for a while, and eventually they go away. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. I found, too, Denver, that uh, in, in I can tell you're like this. You're very comfortable in your own skin. It's important for us to be, this is who God made me. I want to you know, keep changing and becoming more and more like Jesus, but I'm not going to be evaluated by what you think of me. I'm going to live my life for, for an audience of one, and I just know that, hey, the Lord is, he's made me a certain way. He's called me. He's opened doors for me. He wants me to step into those doors, and I just need to be comfortable in, in my own skin. And that's a, that was a learned trait for me. I didn't come, you know, out of a little, being a little kid, like, I, I know who I am, and no. I mean, our process of getting to know who the Lord is mm-hmm. and getting to know who he has made us to be is a lifelong process. And and so on my journey of, of, you know, trying to discover those two things, still continuing to seek the Lord for sanctification, still seeking the Lord to God, continue to grow me to be more like Christ. Mm-hmm. But who is it that you've made me to be? What is the uniqueness of me that you've given really, truly me that's not for me, that's really, truly supposed to be used to help build your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven? What is it that's unique about me that can be for you? And when you start to dig into those kinds of questions and he starts to reveal some things that are unique about you, yeah, I'm a horn, I'm a band geek, I'm, you know, I play a trumpet. That's, to me, that sounds like a really cool thing to 99% of the world is like, how lame is that? But you know what? God has taken us all over the world. We've sung to millions and millions of people about the gospel of Jesus because of those those horns that we love to play so much. Mm-hmm. It, 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 and so God will use the uniqueness of you to do unique ministry that he specifically created you for. Mm-hmm. All right, let me ask you this, Denver. So you you do both things. I mean, you do three things because you write and you play and you sing and then mm-hmm. you lead. So we could add four in there. But when you think about playing and singing, who are the people that you grew up listening to that really impacted your playing and singing? I mean, on the trumpet, I absolutely loved Louis Armstrong growing up. I loved Harry James. Uh, from a singing standpoint, the guy that I really did not listen to big band music a lot until I started high school. And when my high school uh, band director turned on this CD, because uh, CDs had just come out, I'm really dating myself right now, uh, for our jazz band to listen to a couple of recordings that were pretty phenomenal. And it was a guy named Harry Connick Jr. from New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And when I heard that, my life was forever different. I loved his voice. He wrote and arranged all of his own music, mm-hmm. uh, phenomenal piano player, and his band was absolutely fantastic. Um, and uh, a guy named Leroy Jones played all the trumpet solos. He's been a, I don't play like Leroy Jones, but I have tried <laughs> to play like Leroy Jones for years because he's so phenomenal. Um, and so those guys, from a from the style of music that I do, 
were massively influential to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I grew up listening to a ton of Christian music, like Rich Mullins and Michael W. Smith. And you'd say, well, how, you know, I don't really hear a lot of musical influence there. You may not, but but the things that they stood for, the, the kind of ministry that they did, those things have been massively influential on me uh, in the ministry portion of what I've done and what I wanted my songs to be about. Um, from a musical standpoint, my dad loved music from like the 60s. And so I was listening to horn bands like Blood, Sweat, and Tears and Earth, Wind, and Fire and Chicago. Mm-hmm. And, and so I grew up with all of that kind of music. And, and the Mile High Orchestra really is, it's kind of like a, it's a melting pot of a lot of different mm-hmm. little unique styles that all feature horn players. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's kind of what we do. Well, Chicago. I, I watched a um, documentary on Chicago because they've been. I have too. They've been a, a, a force in the music business for what fifty years or something. Long time. Like that. It's crazy, uh, but I loved the fact that they had those horn stabs and different oh, yeah. things in there. That's what made their music so great. Yeah, it was very, very signature, and it really kind of transformed the sound. When you came from the '30s and the '40s, where everything was horn driven with these big bands, and it evolved into maybe some of the crooners like you know Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra and the Rat Pack and then you had rock and roll that started with Elvis Presley uh, which he kind of came out of this thing called rockabilly which was kind of birthed in the blues and birthed in you know portions of of swing music and then the horns were kind of there but kind of not mm-hmm. um and there were you had a smattering of folks in the 60s that still had horns on things um you know guys like frankie valley and the four seasons and and some of those kinds of groups uh and then what happened in this in the beginning of the 70s is the horns kind of made a real resurgence and 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 chicago really was was a lot to do with that they they were for about a an 18 month period of time the biggest band in the united states of america a lot Mm -hmm. of people don't remember that but in the very early 70s there was nobody bigger than them um Mm -hmm. and uh and at least on the on radio and so they were massively how many pieces did they have you know, that's a really good question. They they had typically three horn players uh, mm-hmm. with the rest of the band, and they had some different lead singers over the years. Um, but the horn players uh, in that band, I think, have been there almost literally since day one. It's the same guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had a real signature sound, all very, very talented musicians, for sure. Yeah. Let's take a listen to you playing the trumpet. What okay. do you think? I, think? I think we have this queued up. That's saxophone, that's not you. No, but that guy's really good too. (laughs) Jeffrey Scott Wills is his name. I think we got a trumpet solo coming up. Yeah, they're somewhere in there. Probably coming up somewhere. Here you are. Okay, so how high was that note? It's a concert F. If you're playing trumpet, that would be a G because we transpose up a whole step. But yeah, 
pretty high. High note. Yes. Now, high G. Okay. We call so, it double G in so, Trumpet World. So in your concert, which is hour and a half or so, mm-hmm. uh, how how long can you go hitting hitting those kinds of notes? Because eventually your lip gives out, right? Yeah, it takes a lot out of me. It depends on the day and on the night. But uh, I'm really I'm in the last couple of years. I've really really started to hone in and really uh, I went through so many years and the majority of of how I you know because I would also do a lot of studio work singing uh, was just singing so much. Um, and it wasn't that I didn't like the trumpet. I just had stopped practicing for years. And so in the last couple of years, I've really honed in. I've fallen back in love with the instrument. I'm kind of redesigning some nuances about the trumpet, which has been so much fun to make it a little easier to play mm-hmm. because it is such a physical instrument. So, uh, you know, it depends on the night, but I'm getting better and better all the time. I can last longer. And some of those high notes are really starting to come for me now. And, and that... that uh, no trumpet player wants to admit it out loud, but they all love playing high if they can. <laughs> okay, so what what goes out first in a concert? Your voice is of, from singing or your lip from playing? Uh, my lip from playing. I still, it, it just, it's more, I think that probably the voice, uh, I have been singing so much for so long that it just. It's very effortless. Well, it's not that it's effortless. I it, went, it looks effortless. I went through a season, it would be too long of a clip to talk about, but after the pandemic was over and the, the very first set of shows that I did, um, because I had not sung a show in like in, in months and months and months and months and months, I damaged my voice and I had uh, bleeding on my left vocal cord and it took six and a half, almost seven months to heal. Like I, I could not sing after that first set of shows. Uh, terrifying. And so- Just because you overdid or what? Yeah, because I was out of shape. I mean, I'd sung three to four times a week, two to three weekends a month for 21 years mm-hmm. up to that point. And I was still singing at home. I was still writing songs. I was still recording demos. But it's not the same as singing over a big band for two hours a night, you know, multiple times a week. So uh, I have a great respect for the voice and taking care of it. And I've always sung properly, but uh, it's not effortless. <laughs> well, that's I think that's one of the marks of a great musician, great singer, is it comes across to the listeners as this just seems like it's so easy for you because I, I know it's not easy, but when you're in your wheelhouse, it comes across that way to people. Tons of preparation. That's what I tell people. Tons yes. of preparation. Well, we're we're talking to Denver Bierman, the uh, founder of Denver and the Mile High Orchestra. He is the front man. He is the singer. He is the arranger. He's the trumpet player, along with other guys. But uh, very fun, high energy. A godly group of guys. If you've never heard them, I encourage you to check them out and uh, see about bringing them to your church and to your event because they will deliver. Hi, this is Todd Nettleton with the Voice of the Martyrs Radio inviting you to the Hearts of Fire virtual event on July 14th. This is a -a one-of-a-kind virtual event that highlights stories from persecuted Christians around the world. This event will benefit the global body of Christ and inspire you in your own walk of faith. Hear from four persecuted Christians, plus join in worship along with Michael W. Smith. To register as an individual or host this event at your church, visit heartsevent.com. 
What does the American Family Association stand for? We believe that our ministry, as well as everything in the heavens and on earth, belongs to God, and our role is that of a trusted manager. These values and more are part of our mission to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. We want to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Thank you for standing with us. The following is not an actor, but a real life story from Trinity Debt Management. I'm Corey and this is my story. I was going through some financial troubles paying off my credit cards. I was paying high interest rates and it just wasn't getting any better. And I knew I had to do something. So my mom told me about Trinity and so I decided to call. Trinity was able to do something that I couldn't. I'm paying off my debt, I'm saving thousands, and things are really looking up. I promise you guys, you will not regret it when you call Trinity because it was such a relief and less stress in my life and it was the best thing I could have done for myself because once I called Trinity, they took care of me and I felt such a relief, a weight off my shoulders and they are a Christian-based company. I love it. <laughs> if you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. I'm Corey and I'm debt-free for keeps. 1-800-788-1813. This is Abraham Hamilton III with AFR, and we're sending Bibles to Asia. Here's Michael with Bible League International. Abraham, there is an incredible move of God right now in the region of Asia. This is where Christianity is growing fastest in the world, but at Bible League, now in our 85th year of ministry, we easily estimate that as many as 9 of 10 new believers in countries like China, Vietnam, and Malaysia have no access to the Bible. They live out their Christian faith in the day-to-day without being able to open God's precious Word and be reminded of His promises. But listeners, you've been incredibly kind to these brothers and sisters. Our goal is to bless 16,000 Bibleist believers. You've done that for 13,000 or more than 80% there. We've been given just a little extra time to meet this goal. Would you pray about it today and would you get involved and send Bibles to Asia? $5 sends a Bible. That's only $5 for a Bible. $100 sends 20. $500 sends 100. You can give by calling 800-YES-WORD. That's 800-YES-WORD. Or visit sendbiblesnow.org. That's sendbiblesnow.org. Welcome back to Real Truth for Today. Pastor Jeff Jeff Shreve here. I got got stumbled on my name uh, there, Denver. Talking to Denver Beerman. Denver is the the founder of Denver and the Mile High Orchestra, a high-energy horn band. Ten pieces in the band, right, Denver? Yeah, ten pieces. We have three trumpets. Usually it's, uh, let's see, uh, three trumpets, two saxophones, sometimes three uh, one or sometimes two trombones, and then a rhythm section, bass, drums, guitar, and sometimes piano. I mean, so it kind of fluctuates. We got when you've done this for twenty four years, you've got uh, quite uh, what I call the DMHO family. Then depends on who can make it and who can be there that day. But uh, that's pretty much what it is. Yeah, it's exciting. It's fun. We've had them several times at First Baptist Texarkana, and uh, I personally love it. I could have Denver every other week. Um, You're so good to me. You're so kind. (laughs) Way too kind. We're going to open up the phone lines. If you have a question or a comment, 888-589-8840. That's 888-589-8840. And uh, Denver would maybe have a direct uh, question for him or a question for me, whatever it might be. But, uh, okay, so Denver, we were talking about... 
when you go into all these different churches, you get to see uh, the church in a different way because the church universal, because you're in uh, this denomination, that denomination, the other, and then how people interact with you, interact with your music. Um, tell us about that. What, what's that like? Well, I mean, yeah, if we're thinking just about America, you know, we do have some very distinct denominations. Uh, and if and if you don't believe me, just Google how many different Christian denominations. Just ask Google. It's a pretty astounding number. Um, but uh, it's really interesting to see what the landscape of God's uh, people look like here in America and how they are going to react. Some places may be more liturgical. They may be more quiet and some places are going to be uh, way more ex- ex- excited and excitable. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I find, find beautiful is that Jesus Christ really, truly can move in all of these different styles in all of these different places. Um, and I've seen God just do incredible things in the hearts and lives of people over the years. Um, so many stories. Uh, I can remember being uh, in Pomona, California, and uh, this was around 2005 when uh, the book, The Purpose Driven Life, had just come out, and and so all these coworkers had invited their friends to church, and this woman, her uh, coworker, came to church with her on a Saturday night to my concert, and I kind of had just, what I felt led to speak that night was, there's a purpose for your life, there's a plan for your life, do you know what that purpose really is? And that woman was so intrigued by those questions that she came back the next day um, to go to the actual church service on Sunday morning. Now, I'd already moved on. I was in the next town singing on Sunday. Um, And she talked to the pastor for a half hour after the concert or after the service was over, and she asked Jesus to be her Lord and Savior, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a beautiful, wonderful story. The uniqueness of her story was the very next day at her office on that Monday afternoon, she had a massive heart attack and died. Wow. And to think that God could help us be the introduction um, to here's a little piece of Jesus and, and for her to be intrigued enough to go back to that church um, and to see, and, and, you know, it's, it's, I've seen God move in so many different ways and in so many different settings and in so many different uh, styles. And I think one of the things I'm most grateful for was the fact that enough of these folks uh, felt comfortable enough to bring us, you know, that that the Lutherans would feel comfortable with a big band there or the Presbyterians, you know, or some of these styles that you would never probably normally see in those kinds of settings. Well, I think think what you guys do is a great hook in the water for evangelism because it's something different. You know, that's that's the beauty of bringing in like Denver and the Mile High Orchestra to your church. You can tell your members, hey, they're coming and you have friends that are not Christians that love music. They 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 play in the band and mm-hmm. they love to hear guys that can really play the, the trumpet, the saxophone, the trombone, whatever it might be. So that can get them to come in. It's not a preaching service per se, although they're going to hear the gospel, but it's it's music that God can use that can open their heart just like that lady. Oh, yeah. God can use anything. I mean, he created this whole this whole thing so he can use anything to reach people. And uh, there, for me, in my life, it has been that he can use a saxophone, that he can use a trombone, that yeah. he could use a trumpet to remind people who he is and to reach people for him. Amen. Well, we're going to the phone lines, 888-589-8840. And we have Scott on the line from Mississippi. Scott, welcome to Real Truth for Today. 
awesome guest this morning, man. Every time you have a show, Pastor Jeff, I find another so much more uh, that you and I share as kindred spirits. And uh, <laughs> our love of music is definitely one of those, man. I wrote, once wrote a poem called The Language of My Heart about music. And I don't, uh, uh, it's, I grew up on pop radio, but also grew up in church choir and school choir and, uh, pop radio was just, you know, was on all the time around me and, uh, radio was on all the 24, almost 24 seven now in my home, not 24 seven, 12 seven, I guess. That's cool. <laughs> but I listened to AFR most of that time. Um, uh, I definitely going to get plugged into Denver and his music cause it's just right up my alley. I love a variety. But I, man, I, you know, you can imagine all the stuff I listen to, uh, you know, all the, all the cool, I've always loved big band, even though I was, I was, uh, um, born a little bit, uh, after my time, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, but I had a brother much, much older than me. So I got the benefit of all the sixties music as well, even though I didn't come along till early sixties and I was growing up, my early childhood was sixties and I really latched on to music in the 70s but i remember a lot of his music too so even the herb albert and the tijuana brass when yeah. they were getting started and that kind absolutely of stuff. yeah he was really good, good yeah i got a good provocative question for your guests since y'all are good buddies uh -huh. have you hit him up with the belmont question yet i did i, I talked to him about yeah I, I mentioned that to him yesterday about belmont and uh the promise keeper situation uh denver was discouraged to hear that yeah i was discouraged I, to hear that i know if it had been my my alma mater mississippi college which is also a christian school i would have really been hurt and i figured that's probably the case but you know you know we we can't fix everybody but we can reflect the light and uh you guys i swear one of your messages this this uh, earlier this week after i visited my 93 year young mom i just hope i'm half as ready as she is to meet her god and uh um uh just just the whole thing of how god looked at us so lovingly your your message i heard it a couple of three times and go back and listen to it again it was just so touching about the heart of god for his children despite mm. their imperfections and how much uh, we live to his glory and his honor and uh i just appreciate your ministry and, and i really i really uh appreciate how you um are so transparent and uh love it when debbie's on there with you um and and this time denver of course i was a john denver fan too so denver always had a good 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 feel there to you it. go so yeah. to that kind of, people used to tell me i look like john denver back in the day so there but, you uh, go you know we lost we've lost a lot of good musicians but we'll never lose their music that's the great thing about it and god honors us when we honor him through that music so thank you very much dmho Thank hey, you. thanks, Scott. Thanks for calling in. Thanks for your encouragement. Um, people tell me I look like Uncle Fester. So, uh, <laughs> I always tell them Brad Pitt, and they say, no, Uncle Fester. Okay, so here's a question for you, Denver. Uh, I have found that uh, people tend to think that the best pop music, it, it always kind of corresponds to their years in high school. Of course. So I, me, I was then in, I graduated in 1980. So late 70s, early mm -hmm. 80s, it's like, well, that's the best stuff. So how about for you? 
boy, it wouldn't be when I graduated high school, but I, I don't know. I'm, I've always been so nostalgic. I cannot get past the music of the 1960s. And I think the reason for it is because it was, very, it was still very melodic. There were great melodies being written in that music. It was still catchy enough that it, everything that you would want pop music to be, but you know, you'd have all kinds of key changes and they were super creative in, in what they were using. Like I can remember listening to, wouldn't it be nice by the beach boys and there's a timpani part, you know, I mean, we're talking like instruments that it had the harp in it, like things that you would just not expect to hear on mm -hmm. pop radio, but you being used in really unique ways. They were always experimenting in the sixties with that musically. And I really appreciated that mm -hmm. from that decade and that era. Yeah. Well, and, uh, you know, we have talked before about uh, uh, Frank Sinatra, mm -hmm. you know, biggest name in the, what, in the, started singing in the 40s? He was, in 1999, there was a poll, a national poll, like most influential singer of the 20th century. And Michael Jackson was ranked number three. Elvis Presley was ranked number two. And to my surprise and to my happiness, Frank Sinatra was ranked number one as the most influential singer of that century. Okay, so I asked my wife this. I said, uh, because it, it, I mean, it's well known that Frank had connections with the mob. Yes. So I said, Frank doesn't have connections with the mob. Does anybody know who he is? I mean, we could probably say that for quite a few artists, you know, from, <laughs> from that era. And so who knows? Who knows? But I'm, I'm grateful that we do. I mean, do you think he was that great just on his own or it was mob yes. connections that pushed him forward into that? Yeah, but I think that it, to get to make it in the music industry, uh, you need some kind of help. And I'm grateful that the Lord really helped and, and brought people like Reed and Dina Ribble. Uh, you wouldn't, I wouldn't be sitting here with you. You would have no idea who I am if it weren't for Reed and Dina Ribble. Mm -hmm. You know, what they contributed along with about maybe four or five other people. Uh, there's, there's probably John Gotti. There's five to seven people not associated with the mob that I can look at <laughs> and say, you take any one of these pieces out of my story, this band does not exist or doesn't, no one's heard of okay, it. Okay. So is Dean Martin connected to the mob? I have no idea. Just, uh, but you know, I, I mean, I know you have firsthand knowledge that Frank was. Yes. And you, you had somebody tell you that point blank. Yeah, but I. Th but it's also very, very. I mean, that's public. Yeah, knowledge. but I mean, you had some yes. some inside track of some things. Yes. So, well, I love listening to Frank. I think he's he's so iconic. And he could sing the song. He could sing the phone book. Not that kids know what a phone book is, but he could sing the phone book, <laughs> and we would love it. You're dating yourself again. Yeah, he. You it, can get the phone book on CD. <laughs> Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra. His phrasing is incredible. Just go back and listen to the way he would phrase. Uh, make you know sing a phrase and you and it's genius mm -hmm. uh just genius well he is uh and he he just owns the stage and he's you know he's probably got a huge ego or he did uh but he was he was excellent and so uh it's fun to listen to that old music well we have uh brian on the line from indiana and uh brian go ahead you're on real truth for today Hi, Denver. Uh, I had a question. You mentioned earlier that you were signed to uh, Goatee Records, and I was curious uh, under what band you were signed to them as. Yeah, I was not signed to Goatee, but I was in a band that was on Goatee. Uh, so uh, Christafari, a Christian reggae band that was on Goatee Records at the time, 
uh, they had just come out with an album called Valley of Decision, and they had asked me to start going on the road and playing with them. Um, they wanted to have a horn section live at their shows. And I did it for almost a year um, and had a really great time. But, uh, you know, I just, those guys were so cool, and I am so not cool, and I did not fit in with them. Uh, as far as, like, you know, the way they looked and you know, how stylish they were, you know, I was just a kid from the cornfield. But I had so much fun, and they appreciated my trumpet playing. And so I helped put the, the horn section together for them and uh, had a real, real fun time. But I personally was not signed to Goatee Records. All right. Well, thank you, Brian. Thank you for that question. Thank you for calling in. Okay, Denver, uh, lots of people probably don't know, but you played with Kelly Clarkson for a summer? Yeah, for almost the, uh, not quite a year, but uh, going on it for sure, yeah. Okay, so if you're a member of a band, you're in her trumpet section. Um, mm -hmm. Are you getting to know her very well, or is it just kind of business and you show up for practice? And that kind Kelly of was really great to to everybody in her band. Um, I, I felt like I got to know her decently well, and she uh, was so kind, so good to us just a wonderful person she would gather us all together before every concert we would pray together mm. uh and she spearheaded all that i thought that was super cool mm -hmm. yeah yeah it was a great experience uh tremendous talent and uh unbelievable talent yeah now she to me seemed like she was could be somebody who who would damage her voice because of how hard she sang she was careful i could tell you that that when i was uh working we would always do a show every other day and that she would have one day where she sang, and then the very next day she would rest, and then the very next day she would sing again. Um, and that was very regimented, and it was you know very intentional. You did protect her voice. Mm -hmm. All right, we have one last call. John, we just have another, uh, another minute, so go ahead with your question. Yes, I'm a retired missionary in my 80s, and I just love disco. My question to Jeff is, is there a place in the church for disco with its beautiful rhythm and um, it's the way it, put, it comes across. Yeah, good question, John. I'll defer to Denver. I mean, I think God can use any kind of music to his glory, uh, you know, depending on what your denominational views about uh, dancing in church. Disco was really made for dancing. <laughs> yes. But, uh, yeah, you know, we can dance into the Lord. So there you go. Leave it at that. Well, thank you for joining us today on Real Truth for Today. I'm your host, Pastor Jeff Shreve, and uh, Denver. Thank you for being my guest today. Hey, go out, shine for Christ, share what great things the Lord has done for you. Be His witness, and God will use you. God bless you. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.